Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13, from the New International Version. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now today I'd like to deal with the five P's. Uh, a preamble, something personal, then a bit of a preach, and then a provocation perhaps, and a prayer. So the preamble is this. Over the next couple of weeks, or a few weeks at least, I want to start looking at the issue of what does evangelism look like? And I know that People go running um, a mile when they hear that word or when they hear the subject brought up. And the same with discipleship. But I want to look at it from perhaps a couple of different perspectives and uh, take some of the uh, mystery out of it and uh, bring back the, the ordinary dailiness of what it means to be an evangelist or a disciple maker. And how over... Just the normal parts of our lives, we can reach to our family, our friends, our neighbors with kindness, with care, with action, by speaking up, but also praying for the presence and power of God in their lives and in our lives. So firstly, something personal. I'll start with two stories and then something that happened just recently. The first is this. As a young man... I, just out of my teen years, in my early 20s, I was a youth pastor at a large Presbyterian church. And early on in my time there, I was asked to meet up with a colleague who was and had been a minister for many years at that stage and working amongst the Indian community of the city in which I, which, which I lived. It was a, around a matter of um, deliverance. We went to this large house and walked in together, the two of us, and the um, woman who greeted us was a mother who was concerned about what was happening with her son. He uh, was fearful, uh, there was, um, he was bedwetting, and there were a number of things. And this Indian colleague as we walked into this house with this massive atrium and were ushered into this very smart uh, lounge area, we sat chatting with this lady for a while. She'd been involved with many um, sort of occult things before she had met Jesus. And this Indian colleague asked a whole lot of questions and spoke for a while, perhaps half an hour or so, while we drank a cup of tea. And then he said, right. Let's go. And we walked upstairs to the passage uh, that had the bedrooms leading off on either side. And we stood in the passage and uh, the three of us, just with our heads bowed, and this colleague simply prayed a prayer, um, praying a prayer of deliverance that was no more than perhaps a minute, a minute and a half long. He said, Amen. And then he said, well, that's it then. And as, as a young, sort of impressionable young man, I thought, 
no, it can't be. It, there's got to be more to it than that. And I think the lady of the house was also somewhat taken aback that this had been uh, so short and, and sharp and sweet. And off we went. The next day, I got a phone call that I was asked to relay onto this chap who'd prayed from the mother who said that her son came home that day. And as a, as a, as a boy of about 10 or 11, he had walked into the house with his school uniform and his satchel on his back. And as he walked into that atrium, he stopped in the middle. He looked at his mother and he said, there's something different. And that night, of his own accord, he, for the first time in months, went and slept in his own bedroom, slept through the night, and was, that was the last of his bedwetting. And there was this remarkable turnaround. And it was part of my journey of understanding just the kind of power and authority, unspectacular in some senses, of, of just a simple prayer of deliverance. The second story is a story I've told to some of you, but it's about my mother's healing. And that was part of my initial journey to uh, understanding what, what it meant to follow and serve Jesus. My mother had a degenerative condition of her spine. She'd had uh, several operations that were dangerous and very lengthy. We're going back into the 1960s at this stage. And the... Um, my mother came to faith and on the next day read that Jesus had healed different people. And she grasped this with a kind of um, initial faith. And she said to Jesus in her prayer that night, I would like to be healed and I'm not getting off my knees until you heal me. So there was a kind of a, um, a, a sort of a youthful exuberance in the prayer perhaps. My mother at that stage was perhaps in her early 40s. Now, the remarkable thing is that that night, my mother was healed completely and utterly. Now, I hadn't yet accepted that I needed to follow Jesus. And this was one of the most remarkable things, because from being a semi-invalid, my mother changed overnight to, to, to having an active lifestyle that was just completely night and day. And it made a huge impact on me as a young man, as a teenager. And the reality of God's power and His presence was something undeniably in front of me day after day because there was my mother who had been so ill and so broken in terms of her capacity, suddenly doing all kinds of things that had never been possible for her in the previous years. And then this all came back to me about two months ago. I had the privilege of being asked to be part of uh, someone's uh, uh, journey as we, we get up each day and read uh, our lectionary readings together and we pray together. And right in the beginning of that process, as, as we were, were talking, the passage from Matthew 4.24 came up. And I'll just read it to you. Uh, it says here, And the news about him went into all Syria. That's Jesus. And they brought to him all who were ill, all who were ill, and taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. There's just this kind of throwaway thing. He's in Syria, and they brought all of these people to them, 
and he healed them. And the, the discussion around this thing of healing and why we don't see so many healings and what's the situation now and how does it work, and it got me to thinking again over the next couple of way, uh, weeks. And, and I think this is the personal part of it, is that God has provoked me in a fresh way. And I, I want to perhaps uh, feel the need to bring that provocation to all of us. Where are the healings? Where are the deliverances? Are we seeing the presence and power of God in our daily lives as a matter of routine and as a matter of course? So, let me um, take us to John chapter 14. It's an interesting passage. And you've heard it before, and I want to uh, just read a few parts of it. This is the part of the, the farewell uh, narrative that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room the night that he was betrayed, and he's talking to them. And he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, you believe in me also. And he says, in my father's house are many places, many dwelling places, if you like, many rooms. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he stresses that life because in chapter 10, verse 10, he's already sp spoken to them and said, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness, abundant life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And then in verse 9, he says, um, because this is what Philip says, show us the Father is enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And what he's saying to Philip, in essence, is you don't need anything more. If you look at Jesus, if you look at what he said and what he did and the whole essence of who he was, that's what it looks like. That's what the Father looks like. That's who God is. He is the full representation of God in human form. And when we look at Jesus, we get an understanding. Uh, and, and when we understand what he did, we have an understanding of what God's purpose and plan is for, for humanity and for this planet. And Jesus is saying to Philip, he's saying to his disciples, look, have I been with you this long? You've seen all the things I've said, uh, said and done. This is what it looks like. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm saying to you absolutely, just grasp this, uh, Philip, grasp this, chaps, to the twelve of them. Um, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Those of you who have been following me, those of you who continue to follow me, those of us who follow him now, he says to us, look, this is what it's all about. The works that I do, those are the works that you are going to do. And then he says, greater, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. And we say, well, what can be greater and so on. That's, let that be aside for the moment. If we just did what Jesus was doing, wouldn't that be spectacular? Wouldn't that be remarkable? Wouldn't that cause a stir? Wouldn't that see the kingdom come? As we pray, when we pray the prayer from Matthew 6 that Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And 
I think that, he, as he goes on to say here, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He reiterates this whole thing. Why don't you ask? I want to do it. There's a real sense that you will do the same sort of things that I do. And he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's an expression of love for the Father. It's an expression of love for Jesus, that we want to do the same kind of things that he did. And I think we need to establish and say clearly to ourselves again that God is free to act, and he does. He creates, he reveals, he redeems, he sustains, he reconciles, he forgives, he loves, he heals, he recreates, he sets free, he brings joy and love and hope and peace. And we could make the list go on and on. But just to, to, to say this over and over again, that's who God is. That's the essence of his being. That's how he set the world up. That's how he created everything to be. And when it all fell apart and broke and, and, and wound down, he sent his son. He, he enfleshed his very being in his son that we would begin to understand and know what it looked like and how he looked and what he looked like and how he wanted us to live and to operate. As if there was any kind of doubt, when Jesus comes and he starts his ministry in Luke 4 and he picks up that scroll in the uh, synagogue and he begins to read from it, he, says the pl- he finds the place where it's written and he sa- it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news. This is good news. And it's for those who are poor, poor in spirit, poor in every way, those who lack what is necessary to live fully. He sent me to proclaim release to the captors, deliverance, that, that there would be a setting free from all the things that cripple and, and, and imprison people, and recovery of sight to the blind, that we would begin to see exactly how God has set this world up and how it ought to be and what it could look like. And to set free those those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Right up front, he says to them, this is what I'm about. And then he goes on to to preach and to, to do all kinds of things that embody that in the way that he lives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us, and he gives a sense of who he is to us in his son. And he, he sets us free. He, he forgives us. He redeems us. He brings us to full salvation and full life. Paul understood this. And just this is just a, a tiny little fraction of it. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. Now, you can read that whole passage because it's about reconciling people to God, and it's about how Paul understands that our mandate, our ministry, our anointing is to see people reconciled and to be made well, to be healed, to be saved. And he says, we're the ambassadors of that. 
We are the mathetes, the disciples, the apprentices of Jesus. We are the ones who follow in Jesus' footsteps. We are the representatives of God in this whole process. That the actions and the words of God are seen through our lives. And he goes on to beg them to then live in such a way that is clearly that. And at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20, he says the same thing. I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm just, I'm just here to point to Jesus and to do the things that he did on his behalf. Now, he calls us to say and to do all that Jesus did. Now, I've over the last while looked at this passage, and I want to just come back to it because it's key and central to our understanding of this. It's Luke chapter 10, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 9, first of all. In Luke 9 verse 1 and 2, it says this, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So there is deliverance, there's a setting free, there is the sense of healing diseases and proclaiming the kingdom. Proclaiming the kingdom is not separate to actions of kindness and love and all the other things that we have talked about uh, at length. But it's also not separate to speaking up and talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what is the kingdom coming. But it is also a setting people free, a deliverance from the oppression or the um, whatever of the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And healing. And further on in verse 6 it says, And departing they began going out among the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, and then... The interesting thing, and just to stop here for a second, just for a few thoughts. Verse 1 says, He called the twelve together. These are the disciples, the apprentices. And he gave them, he gives them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Power and authority. You and I, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as apprentices, have power and authority to over all the demons and to heal diseases. Stop there for a second. Power and authority. Now, power comes uh, when we understand that God pours His Spirit into us, that we are given His Spirit. And we need to pray in a fresh way, say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is an instructive passage. And we come to Acts chapter 1, and I haven't marked it. Here we go. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus gathers them back before he leaves, before he ascends to the Father. And he says, don't worry. Remember, remember what I said to you when I sent the 12 of you out. I give you power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we have the whole of the Acts 2 uh, thing where, where they gather together, they're praying, the Holy Spirit comes, there's tongues of 
fire, there's wind. Peter stands up and he preaches. And it's, it's worth going to read all over again. But the result of the Holy Spirit arriving in power like that upon the disciples is that we're, people were repenting. They were turning away from the lives that were broken towards God. They were, they were being forgiven. There was salvation that was coming and breaking out all over the place. People were being reconciled to the Father. And they were being healed. In, in chapter 22, and, sorry, chapter, chapter 2 verse 22, that's what I'm trying to say. In Peter's preach, he talks about Jesus, how he did many signs and wonders. And how there were all these things going on in his ministry as he came to represent and show God. And in chapter, 40, chapter, chapter 2 verse 43, it uses the same wording, the signs and wonders of when the apostles, these 12, these, these uh, apprentices were now exercising the same kind of ministry that Jesus had exercised. And people were being uh, healed and there were all kinds of things happening in the community that were remarkable. Now, some people have suggested that there are a few chosen people that ought to be the ones on a stage who pray for healing and all that kind of stuff. That's not how it looks. Each one of us, as individuals who follow Jesus, are, are, are given the gift of God's Spirit. And we are, uh, He gives, as all disciples, He gives us power and authority. Now let's just have a brief moment to think about the authority because we're still talking here about Luke chapter 9 verse 1, Jesus giving to the twelve power and authority over all the demons and to perform healing. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he says, go. And he, he, he hands this on to his disciples as the last act before he leaves. He says to them, it's not just about power. It's about the authority that you have to do this. It's the authority that you have from me. Because it's been given to me to give to you. And I was, I was sort of throwing around some ideas about how we, des how we describe this authority. And this is perhaps not a very good uh, way of describing it. But let me just try. When I look out of my study window here, I see there's my, my own little patch of garden. I have the authority to go and do whatever I like there. I can cut things, I can dig things, I can plant things, I can move things, I can break things. It, it, no one is going to stop me. That is my patch. I have authority over this because I own it. It's mine. There is something about this that is, it's um, my turf. But, if I decided to go and cut and dig and plant in the park just around the corner from my house, if I decided to, to go and dig the lawn and plant a row of cabbages or carrots or something, very soon someone who did have authority would come and tell me, Oi, get lost. Or else slap me with a fine or something else because I do not have authority to do the same sort of thing over there. You see, when Jesus says to his disciples, it's not just about the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's necessary. We need to, we need to say, God, fill me with power. 
Give me your spirit in a fresh way. But it's the authority that we have. We, we are on, this is God's turf. This is God's patch. This is God's garden. That we are now the gardeners. And there is stuff that is, is tangled and, and imprisoned. Stuff that needs to be cut away. Stuff that needs to be, to be replanted. Stuff We have the authority to do it. We don't have to cast around as though we are tiptoeing into someone else's garden. It's the evil one who is the trespasser. We are the ones who own the patch because our father owns it. And so when he says to the disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, you have power and authority. He's saying you have the capacity to go and do it. And he then says to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is this sense of the both are necessary when it comes to us living out the fullness of all that God has for us and what he wants to see in terms of the kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Then in chapter 10, just so that there's no mistaking this, in Luke chapter 10, let me just get there quickly, there is a further development where he calls, he appoints 70 others, and he sent them two, two and two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And in verse 9 it says, part of the mandate that he gave that 70 was this, and heal those who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. It's unambiguous. It's not complicated. There it is in black and white. And they go and they come back because he says to them, the fields are white unto harvest. That's ripe. People are ripe. I'm busy working in this field all the time. I just need you to come and harvest. And in verse 17 it says, the 70 returned with joy saying, even the de demons are subject to us in your name. You see, the battle is won. This is a mopping up operation that he sent us as his disciples, as his ambassadors, as his witnesses, as his emissaries, to go and do the work that he started, that he accomplished, that he fulfilled, to see it come, to see the kingdom come in its fullness, on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, we are to care for people, to love them, to nurture them, our family, our friends, our neighbors, neighboring is important, all these other things that we've spoken of, and I've said that about three times now this morning, to love them and to speak about the faith that we have in Jesus and how we are constantly learning and growing and to be involved with issues of justice and, and seeing things put to right. But, and here's the but, it's also to see the kingdom come in this way of people being liberated and set free from the, the, the claws of the evil one. Of people being released and set free from the diseases that cripple people's bodies. Deliverance and healing is an integral part of the kingdom coming. I think we are afraid of this. 
I think perhaps what's happened is that we've been intimidated by the prevailing culture in which we live, our, our sort of Western scientific mindset, and we've um, sort of backpedaled a lot on this, well, generally speaking, and, and certainly perhaps just uh, subtly and gradually, I, I think that's happened in my own life. And so here's the provocation that I want to just throw out there, and it's not actually to you. That's why I started off this thing with a personal few stories. What stops us? This is the question. What stops us from having a go? You know, over the last couple of years, we've spoken about having a go, and we've looked at it in terms of uh, reaching out to our neighbors, uh, hearing God's voice, and, and addressing perhaps those we have in front of us. But when it comes to, to, to seeing people set free, deliverance and healing, what stops us from having a go? I love this little quote from Joyce Meyer. She says this, and I'm going to read it because it's easier. When it comes to this kind of thing, we're talking about deliverance and healing, speaking to somebody or, or offering to pray for them for the presence and power of Jesus. She says this, your palms will sweat. Your throat will go dry. When that happens, lick your palms and get on with it. It's a kind of no-nonsense and it's a humorous way of looking at it. But the truth is that it never gets to the point where this is easy. Because we are always grappling with what is God saying, discerning His voice. Is this what the Father is doing? But the truth is that we will never ever find out if we don't get out of the boat and begin to walk on water. If we don't begin by having a go. And this week, this, this past week, in our um, national conference, we had Jordan Singh from Hawaii speaking. And he, he spoke at New Wine about two years ago. And he said pretty much as, as he did then, that faith is spelt T-R-Y. Try. You don't know until you try. You don't see anything unless you try. You don't move anything in the, uh, along on the dial unless you try. And will you fail? Yes. And, and part of the, the, the genius of his uh, talk is that they celebrate people who, who, who try and it doesn't work out because it's not whether it works out. We are in such a success-orientated culture. It's about whether you've tried. It's about whether you've put yourself out there, whether you've had a go, whether you've tried to see whether you could bring some measure of life to a situation that you found yourself in. You see, Jesus comes to give us life in all its fullness. And he wants to bring life, and he wants to bring you to bring life wherever you go. And so... The question perhaps we should ask is, God, what does it mean to bring life into this situation that I'm in at the moment? Hebrews 13 verse 8, we looked at a couple of weeks ago where Jesus is, uh, where the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. If you have any doubt about the fact that we are supposed to be seeing people delivered and healed, then look to see what Jesus does, because he, he hasn't changed. Yesterday and today and to, sorry, yesterday, today and forever. He is the same. 
The mandate is to see the kingdom come in power, that people are set free, that people are reconciled to God. They are saved and healed and forgiven and restored. That the broken parts of their lives are healed, both physically and in every other way. That they are set free to be what God has created them to be and not imprisoned by the evil one. Jesus still wants to do all those things. And we are called to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to be his disciples, to be his apprentices. An apprentice is just someone who's learning on the job. So I'm saying to you all today, I'm not satisfied with where I am as far as this is concerned. So I'm going to have a go. I'm going to try. I'm going to expectantly and hopefully faithfully begin to pray, expecting that God will heal and deliver. Would you join me? And would you hold me accountable? Let's pray. We recognize again that you have already given us authority. And we give you thanks for the fact that you showed us exactly what it is that you want us to do. We pray now, today again, that you would fill us and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in a fresh way, anoint us. That we would see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.